Well, if you would turn in your Bibles to Ruth chapter 4. Now, to many of you who have been following along through this whole series, Ruth might seem like a a sweet romance novel at times, especially in this last chapter. It kind of seems like a fairy tale. It's almost like as if it would say, and they lived happily ever after, and just kind of ends like that. But we have to realize that this story is not just given to us to tickle our feelings. Though scripture does speak to the emotions, it's ultimately aimed at the heart and the spiritual realities at play in our souls. So this story in Ruth is the story of the good news of Jesus, the gospel. We've seen that. It's it's kind of a microcosm. Like if you want to think about the big story of redemption, this microcosm of the story of redemption. And it's meant to reverberate in the chambers of the heart. When you read this, it's supposed to resonate. And that that initial devastation, remember in chapter 1, when everyone dies basically, that initial devastation and the uncertainty throughout Ruth resonates with us because we are fallen creatures. We're supposed to feel these things. And we feel the tensions of life, the burdens of life, sin, suffering. We feel all that. We long for rest, for security, for grace, just like Ruth and Naomi do through this story. So it is supposed to speak to our hearts because every single human being is in this same complex situation of trying to figure out life. It's all different things for you. I don't know what you're going through, but this story is supposed to speak to that, whatever you're going through. And the beautiful thing is is that God doesn't give us these stories just to kind of tease us. It's not like God is like a horse or a rider on a horse and kind of dangling a carrot out in front of us where we have this gospel story that we never get to taste of. We never get to enjoy it. We just He's telling us what to do, and he's kind of driving us with this hope in, in front of us that we never get to taste of. That's not the case. When we read Ruth, it can kind of seem like that on the surface when we get to the chapter 4 and they live happily ever after and you think, well, I don't really feel that way in my life. It's because your life is a bigger picture than your moment. Right? You are you are in maybe the, the burial situation, the, the burial state of being in the in-between where you feel buried with Christ. It's dark. You don't know what's going on. You don't know how it all works out. But the truth is, is that the gospel is good news and it is good news for you to taste and experience in its fullness. It's for you. It's not just a happily ever after that you never get to taste of. We live that resurrection life right here and right now. And we hear that good news at the, at the end of this story to remind us of that. The proverb says that gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. God gives us these gracious words at the end of Ruth not to tease us but to nourish us. To help us to be more changed by him. So let the gospel of Ruth be sweet to your soul today. Let it actually help you and nourish you to be healing to your bones. Feast on it. This is God's word given to you. The the bread of life offered to you. So eat it up today. So we're going to look at the uh, to see how the, the gospel speaks to the book of Ruth. We might even say the, the gospel of Ruth, kind of from a mile-high view. So um, if you haven't read along, you're going to probably hear a lot of the details from the book. You, you're going to have to just read it for yourself. We can't read the whole book today. But you're going to catch some points where we're looking at Ruth from uh, a mile-high view. So, so you can walk away from this series saying, I learned that the, or the, the, the book of Ruth speaks to the gospel. It's not just this Old Testament story where this thing happened and it has no connection to your life now. It actually does have a connection to your life now, and we'll, we'll see that. So we're going to finish the book seeing in chapter 4 that there is only one Redeemer that makes all of this possible. And that one Redeemer then creates one unified people. 
One Redeemer, One People. So if you would, please turn with me to the book of Ruth. We're going to look at chapter 4, verse 1 through 22. And I'll read the entirety of it. I know it's kind of long, but that's how you get through books of the Bible. You read them. So so these these are the words of God. It says, Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer, of whom Boaz had spoken, came by. So Boaz said, Turn aside, friend. Sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling a parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, Buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if not, you or but if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is one beside you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite. The widow of the dead, in order to perpetrate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought the land from the hand of Naomi, all that belonged to Elimelech, and all that belonged to Kilion and Malone. Also, Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetrate the name of the dead and his inheritance that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his place of nativity. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who put or together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah. And be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you, is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. The word of the Lord for his people. Let's pray. Father, once again we... 
come to your inspired text asking that you would inspire us. We sit humbly before it, unsure in the ways that you may speak to us. Lord, we pray that you would ready our hearts, that you would do just that. That your Holy Spirit would be upon us to convict us of the things that we need to be convicted of. To encourage us, to enliven us by your word. Lord, that is what your word does. It's living and active and it pierces down to our souls. And Lord, we ask that our eyes would be open to those things. That our ears would be receptive to it. And that our hearts would be soft and malleable. Ready to be changed by your good, gracious words that you've given to us in this book of Ruth. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So, as we've been doing every time, we've kind of looking, we're kind of look back at the book of Ruth in an overview, seeing how we got here. And um, I'm not going to go into a lot of details, but we'll just see um, to start off that this book of Ruth is really about the gospel. I want you to get that as you come away from this. If you want to follow my outline and where we're going to go, we're going to see that there's one gospel, one redeemer, and one people. And first, let's look at this just kind of thousand-foot view of the book of Ruth. In chapter 1, we see that it opens in chaos, disorder, and a longing for rest. Remember, everyone kind of dies. There's this death that just pervades over the whole thing. And we, we ended that sermon kind of saying, what just happened? Because there's so much death, there's so, so much unknown, and it just doesn't seem like there's any hope. So that's the, the death frame. Then in chapter 2 and 3, we see God kind of settling and working out the matters. We still don't know how it's working out, but God is at work working out the details. That's the burial state, right? That's God saying, I, I'm going to work this out, just trust me. I know it feels like you're wandering around with uh, your with the, the, the lights out and your eyes are closed, whatever kind of analogy you want to use, but you don't know how it's going to work out. That's the burial, being buried with Christ where everyone outside the grave is thinking that Christ is dead. But God's got a different plan. right? So there's death, there's burial in chapter 2 and 3, and then chapter 4, where we're at today, we see that there's reordered lives. Right? The longings have been satisfied, the rest is attained, and it kind of, kind of sounds like he's saying, and everyone lives happily ever after. That's the resurrection, right? That's the shape of this book, this death, burial, and resurrection. That's what Ruth is about. It's about redemption. It's about restoring. It's, it's this, this pattern of the gospel that we see all through Scripture, and it kind of does this in Scripture, doesn't it? This, this gospel pattern, this death, burial, resurrection, and, and all of the, the characters of the Bible, we see that. But what we need to also see is that we have the same pattern in our lives, our lives, not just their lives. This is for us. When we look at our lives, we should be able to see the same kind of redemptive pattern, this, this way of where God makes the wrongs right in our lives, where he's making um, a bad thing a good thing, working all things together for our good, right? He, he does this great reversal pattern in our lives and reorders us in this way. So if you want to look at the, the, the theme redemption, the theme of like reversal, just think of some of the ways that this has happened so far. You see in chapter 1, chaos in the days of Judges. Remember? Now think how this book ends. Chaos to order through the kingship of David. Right? Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. We didn't have a king. We were in a state of disorder and chaos. And then at the end, oh, there's a king. And he just happens to be King David, the righteous king, the one that brings righteousness and justice and mercy to Israel. Chaos to order. Famine in Bethlehem with Elimelech. To feasting in Bethlehem with Boaz. Empty Naomi to full Naomi with a daughter-in-law worth seven sons plus a child. Right, Her arms are full. Bitter and aged Naomi. 
Right? She says, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. I'm bitter, I'm unhappy. And then at the end, she's pleasant with a child who the women pronounce would be a restorer of life and a nourisher of old age. Isn't it interesting that the women initially were the ones that say, Naomi, is that even you? You've changed. And we said, well, maybe that's age. Maybe she's put some age on. And they say that kind of thing. And then at the end, they're the same people saying, you have a child who's being a restorer of life, a nourisher of her old age. It's beautiful, isn't it? This, this pattern of redemption and renewal and reversal. That we have unnoticed Ruth at the beginning. She stands right next to Naomi and no one notices her when she comes into the town. And then she's renowned. Everyone knows her. Look at all the stuff that she's doing. Everyone's clapping when Ruth comes in because she's, she's so faithful to Naomi. We have restlessness to rest. Right? That's, that's the pattern of this book. Broken to redeemed. And it's our story too. It's not just Ruth's story. It's the story and the pattern of the gospel. So the entirety of the book is about redemption, but we need to notice how the redemption came. Right? There's this one key element that made all of this possible. That one key element was the Redeemer, Boaz. Boaz made all of this work. It wasn't Ruth on her own. It wasn't Naomi on her own. It definitely wasn't Elimelech or the dead husbands. They couldn't do it. No one could do it except for this one person, the Redeemer who is Boaz. Now, when we say that there's only one key to redemption, I want you to see the exclusivity of this role. That's what really chapter 4 is about. It's not as if there could have been another way of redemption. That question is kind of begged. We'll look at that in a minute. But it's obvious by this point that Naomi couldn't attain the rest on her own, could she? She couldn't do it. The law made provisions, right? The, the law said, this is how you work this out. you got a problem? The law says, do this. You have a redeemer. He'll fulfill your uh, purpose by doing this. He'll, he'll buy back your land. He'll be your new husband, and you'll get that all worked out. But she says, no, wait, that doesn't work, does it? Because I'm too old to have a husband. And even if I did have a husband, I'm too old to have children. So that doesn't work. The, the law couldn't provide there. So if it were not for Ruth, her possibility of attaining rest would be completely removed. But then you have Ruth. Now, Ruth ordinarily might have been a glimmer of hope in the Israelite system, right? Because when we're thinking about how does the law provide here? Well, well, Ruth, wait, 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 wait. Ruth isn't an Israelite, though. This law doesn't apply to Ruth. Ruth is a Moabite. And you can't apply Israelite law to a Moabite. So Ruth was only an Israelite for a short time. She was an Israelite by marriage. She didn't have a marriage anymore. She had no connection into Israel. There was no connection for Ruth. So Ruth was really cut off at this point. She had nothing going forward. That was the problem. This law of redemption was an Israelite law, and it only applied within the bounds of Israel. So to us, though, we look at it with Gentile eyes, don't we? It's obvious to us. Well, she was right there, though. She was clean to Ruth. Her faith connected her in, right? Her faith should have incorporated her into the, the covenant people of God. She was clinging. She was doing what she, she was supposed to. She was faithful. But that isn't enough in the Jewish eyes, right? They're not thinking like we do. We think like Gentiles. We're, we're a little bit removed. So it's obvious for us that she might be able to have a kind of a foot in the door through her faith. But that's not how the law worked. There wasn't any kind of faith element where you just kind of worked in through God's promise that way. But even still... Even Ruth, if you, if, you, if you say, well, maybe Ruth does make it in. Because Naomi kind of seems to, to open up over time, doesn't she? She can kind of see where Ruth might actually be a future for them. Ruth still couldn't attain that rest on her own. She still needed something else. She still wasn't enough. So maybe, just maybe, Boaz could do it. 
That's where the story kind of shifts over. Well, what about this other guy, this, this Boaz figure? Maybe we can attain rest in that way. And Naomi's uh, view, her perspective, starts to get a, bit, a little bit lighter, doesn't it? Like when she starts realizing, well, maybe we can work out this deal with Boaz. So as we already know, Naomi propo- proposes the solution to get Boaz to marry Ruth. We talked about that last time, even though she's a Gentile, though. Remember, she says, spread your wing over me, even though I'm a foreigner. I'm a servant. You shouldn't necessarily have to do this, but I'm making this extra risky proposal of faith to connect me in. So Boaz accepts, but he acknowledges there's still technically one person ahead of me. And when we're thinking about the law, we've we got to stay in the bounds of the law, right? So we've got to go through this route. Maybe there is this other man, this other redeemer, who could fulfill this redemption for you. Maybe he can do it. Now, this is very important to the story of redemption. This is what we're going to look at mainly today. The narrative wants you to ponder whether or not there could be another Redeemer. Can just anyone do this? Are are Redeemers generic is what it wants you to answer. Can anyone fill these shoes? Can you do it? Can, Can this person do it? Can any old man do it? How hard can it be? Just go ahead and do what you need to do, what the law says to do, and then you'll live. You'll be saved, right? Do this and you shall live. That's what the law says. The law was intended to fix these kind of problems, was it not? The provisions of the law, they'll save Naomi and Ruth, or will they? Will the law be able to save Ruth and Naomi? That is what God wants you to be asking yourself when you read this story. Could the law save them on on its own? Or would it take someone going above and beyond the law to make this happen? Because that's really where Boaz was. He didn't have to do this. He was going above and beyond the law. So it asks, could the unnamed unnamed man, it never says what his name is, isn't that interesting? Could this unnamed man, this unnamed redeemer, attain the rest for them through the law? Could he do it? Now note that this redemption law only technically applies to Naomi. When when Boaz is talking to this man, he's just talking about Naomi. He's not talking about Ruth because Naomi is the Israelite. That's what is on this man's mind. So Boaz proposes the redemption plan with only Naomi mentioned at first. And, that's, and of course, this man's like, well, yeah, this is a great deal. I, I marry this widow who's barren and old, and I just wait for her to live a couple more years. She'll croak eventually, and I'll get her inheritance. That, that's what he's thinking, right? He's thinking this is easy money. I just got to put up with her for a couple years, and then it's all mine. I can enjoy all this stuff that she has. So and really, and really he's not thinking about her at all, is he? This redeemer's like, what can I get out of this widow? It's kind of gross if you think about it, but, but that's that's really what it comes down to. He's he's thinking he can get something out of this person, but that's not the nature of a true faithful redeemer. The redeemer should be thinking about that person, thinking I can help them out, I can be sacrificial, I can do something for them. So the man turns down the deal as soon as Naomi or as soon as Ruth brought up. And he's like, well, you got to marry Ruth, too. And the guy's like, oh, hold on, hold on. You didn't say anything about marrying this young girl over here. Obviously, she can still have kids. i got kids of my own to take care of is kind of what he's saying. I don't need another wife. I've already got one of those. So that's, that's kind of his response. He says that he can't do it. So Naomi and Ruth, they need to be married to someone who cannot just fulfill the law to the letter. They need someone who can fulfill it with the spirit of the law, too. And this man really answers the question, could he do it? Verse 6, let's read. It answers this question. Chapter 4, verse 6. Can this unnamed man offer the rest they need to Naomi? He says, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance 
Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Naomi can't do it. Ruth can't do it on her own. Even this redeemer who is trying to follow the law can't do it because he says, I don't have the stuff to do it. I don't have the money in the bank. So Boaz gladly steps in, fulfills the legal ceremony of removing the kinsman redeemer's shoe in the presence of the elders, and redeems Ruth and Naomi. Boaz did what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do in order to find that rest and fulfill that rest for Naomi and Ruth. He went above and beyond. So Boaz is the only one who's able to fill, fulfill this rest for Ruth and Naomi. There's only one true redeemer in this story. There's kind of false redeemers. There's ones that are just trying to do the right thing, but what you find out is that they're not really able to do it. They don't have what they need to be able to continue on what the, 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 the people are in need of. They're not, they're not really able to offer anything, right? Because that's, that's what their shortcoming was. They're trying to exploit this widow. They're not trying to redeem her. And that's many times what people do. If we try to live our lives soaking up the life of someone else, right? that's, that's, that's what happens in this story, isn't it? We're not really loving them. We're not pouring ourselves out for them. What we start to do is we start to be needy and dependent on other people to just puff up ourselves or to get things out of them. That's why living uh, according to other people doesn't work. You have to live according to one who can offer that life and not be diminished. That's why we said in that uh, confession. I don't know if you noticed that. To, to bring something off of God doesn't diminish him. To soak up the things that he has doesn't uh, make him less. He remains as he is. Now, I'd like to pause it now just to kind of take a side note. As we're looking at this book from Mile High Views, I want you to notice this. I think this is a really neat thing about the gospel of this uh, story in Ruth. It shows us something about redemption as a whole, but it shows us something specifically in this story that correlates to the big story of redemption. What God was doing in Jesus, the, the, the one true redeemer. Now, I want you to think of it this way. Naomi is faithless Israel. Ruth is the faithful Gentiles. The first redeemer is the one who follows the letter of the law, which proves unable to save. He is kind of like a type of Adam. Could Adam fulfill the law on his own? No, he couldn't do it. He proved with all of humanity, because he was our covenant head, really, he proved that we could not live sinless lives. So, Naomi's faithless Israel, Ruth is the faithful Gentiles, the first redeemer is a type of Adam, and the second redeemer, Boaz, is the one who follows the letter and the spirit of the law, which is able to save. He is a type of the new Adam, Christ, the one who's able to fulfill it for us. This new type of man, this new human. So the point I'm trying to make is that this story shows us that there's only one true redeemer who's able to save. All men fail when they try to live by the law. It doesn't matter who you are. Romans says all have fallen short of the glory of God, except for Jesus. Right? There's this one exception. The law is powerless to save. We just confessed that in the assurance of pardon. The law, weakened by the flesh, was unable to save. But God in Christ done what the law could not do. He went above and beyond. So what this shows is that there's only ever been one person who had the money in the bank to spiritually redeem people. He's the only one that had that kind of righteousness that he could offer to where it didn't completely diminish him. He was fully God and fully man. There was only one possible redeemer to do this. 
Because we can't save ourselves. We need that Redeemer. Remember, we are in the same shoes as Ruth and Naomi. We can't save ourselves. We're just like Elimelech. We are the dead people. We're just like everyone in the story except for Boaz. Boaz is the one who's able to be the true Redeemer. And the beautiful thing is, is that not only is there one Redeemer who has the riches to redeem, but you have a Redeemer who's willing to make that sacrifice, who's glad to do those kind of things for you. He's not thinking about what he can get out of you. To be honest, you don't have a lot to offer God. Right? He made you, and the things that you've done for him, they're great. But at the end of the day, he's more interested in helping you become more like him, not helping him to become more like you. Right? That's, that's the truth of the gospel. We're, we're, we have a God that condescends to us, that is sharing his nature with us, that is sharing his riches with us. He is the rich man. He is Boaz. Right? He's the better Boaz, the, the guy that is the, that promised seed sleeping on a pile of seed. That's what we talked about last time. He's, he's got it all. He has all the stuff. And we see this echoed even in the New Testament. In Ephesians 1, uh, we hear Paul saying things like, Blessed be God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. All that Jesus has in the riches of heaven are given to you. You have it all. It's at your access by faith. You're connected to him through that, and it's all yours. He's just given it to you. Out of his sheer love and grace, he has given you that. And in him, it says further in Ephesians, in him we have redemption. So remember I said this idea of redemption and God being the, the redeemer, it carries over all throughout the New Testament. This book of Ruth is formative in the way that we see God in the future. We see Jesus now as the true redeemer. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. All your sins have been forgiven in him. All of them, every one of them. And according to the riches of his grace, remember, Boaz didn't have to do that. Jesus didn't have to do what he did. He did it because he loved you. Which he, it says, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will. What's it talking about there? In all wisdom and insight. God's able to see a bigger picture than, than we are. We don't understand the future. We don't understand many times even the present, do we? We don't understand how things are working out, but God has a plan, and that's when we see God talk, or when we see uh, the New Testament talking about this mystery of the gospel. There's this mystery where the people of God didn't know how God was going to reconcile all this. They had sins, and they had this system of goats and bulls, and they're like, "Okay, you said to do this. I know you say it takes away our sins, but how in the world does a goat take away sins? I don't know." And then Jesus comes to fulfill that, doesn't he? So there's mystery on that end. But there's also this mystery of what about all the other people, God? What about the non-Jews? How, how do they get worked into this? So let me keep reading. According to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him. Again, I'm in Ephesians. To unite all things in him, that is Jesus, things in heaven, things on earth. In Jesus, all things are united. In him, we have redemption according to the riches of his grace and wisdom. He makes known to us the mystery of his will, which is to unite all things in him. That's Paul speaking about the mystery of the Gentiles being included in Jesus. It's not just Jews. It's Gentiles as well. And that's exactly what Boaz does in the story, isn't it? Boaz takes two people and makes one. And that's what the one true redeemer does. This one gospel is the story of the one redeemer making one people. And the story of Ruth, it opens with two types of people. 
You have the Ephrathites from the tribe of Judah, and then you have the Moabites from the pagan tribes, these, these two people. And through Boaz, he takes these two people and forms one new people. At the end of the story, Ruth isn't saying, your people shall be my people and your God shall be my God. She can say, not in faith anymore, but actually experience the substance of the promise, your people are my people. Your God is my God. And what you have to realize, church, is that you are Ruth. Think about that. You, you are the person that was far off. You are the one that is connected in uh, faith. So the thing that connected Ruth, the Gentile, to Boaz, the Redeemer, in the end of the day, wasn't the law, was it? It was faith. Faith connected her to her Redeemer. And through faith, Boaz formed one new family. The, the mystery has been revealed. That's the good news, church, is that it's not just Jews. That would be horrible news for you and I if it was just Jews. It really would. Think about that. If it was just God's plan to save the Jews, I don't think any of you came from a Jewish line. You would all be cut off. You'd all be far away. So that's good news that you've been brought near through Jesus. And there's this faith element that God reveals to us. That is amazing, amazing news for you and I. So at the moment, there is no way anyone in the story could have seen the significance of this union between an Israelite Gentile or an Israelite and a Gentile. Ruth and Boaz didn't seem like that big of a deal at the moment. I right, think about that. Yes, they had a, a baby, baby Obed. I'm sure he was very cute, and they thought, "Wow, this is kind of a miracle child. What what great work you've done, this small little family." But think about the implications as that blows up. Who is baby Obed? Baby Obed is actually Grandpa Obed, isn't he? To King David. And King David couldn't have known what his life would be to the rest of the world either, could he? Remember, from David comes King Jesus. Jesus is from this King David. And King David is from this little baby. And from this little baby is from Ruth and Boaz. See how the grace starts to snowball and faith starts to snowball? From faith to faith is what Romans says. That's how it spreads. And it's really amazing that God has this wisdom and insight. We read this, those passages in the New Testament that talk about God's wisdom and insight, and we think, oh yeah, God's really smart. But we don't think about like how he actually works this plan out. It's an amazing plan how God has incorporated all things in heaven and on earth, all peoples. That is God's will for him to work all of this together. And not only is this uh, part of the story and the history of redemption as a whole, but even within this story, there, there's, there's this microcosm of the story as a whole, right? The story of Ruth is kind of like the story of the world, is it not? Right? So consider at the beginning of Naomi, or at the beginning, Naomi is the main figure, right? Kind of in the history of the world. Israel is the main figure. And then the dealings are mainly with her and Israel. And then through the exile of the Israelites into Moab, into the, the, the nations, the Gentile Ruth is included along the way, right? So, and, and Ruth, the Gentile, enters the story how? Out of mere providence and in grace. It's grace that Ruth even is in this story at all. It's actually through the sin of Naomi going into this land, leaving uh, the place where she should have been, Elimelech leaving the place, that this Ruth even gets picked up along the way. So it's by grace, and she stays in through faith. Right? We see those patterns, and we don't really think about how uh, big they are in the grand scheme of things. By grace through faith. Uh, well, we just say that to a new convert. How do you get in? By grace through faith. And we don't think about what that actually means practically. This had huge implications in this story right here. This sounds a lot like Paul in Romans 11. If you just fill in the names. Listen to this. 
I'm reading from Romans 11, but I'm going to switch the names Naomi and Ruth for Israelite and Gentile. Just listen. Paul says, So I ask, did Naomi stumble in order that she might fall? By no means. Rather, through her trespass, salvation has come to Ruth. So as to make Naomi jealous. Now, if Naomi's trespass means riches for the world, and if Naomi's failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will the full inclusion be? How much better is it when these two are actually brought together into one? Where it's not two separate people, it's one unified people. And this church is the story of the world. The true story of the world. In Jesus, the greater Boaz, the world is united into one new people, one holy possession, one new humanity, one new creation, the church. It's a beautiful, beautiful story. And it's not just too good to be true. It's actually happening. right? We are Gentiles here. This is a completely Gentile church, and God is working this out. God is working redemption through these moments just like this. And we tend to just get so disconnected, right? We can almost hear a story like this and say, yeah, so what? Yeah, I've heard the gospel. I know I know. God saves Jews. He, he saves Gentiles, and he kind of brings them together. Yeah, so what? Right? That, that's many times how we get, isn't it? We kind of get calloused to the gospel. It's such good news that we forget how deep and good news it is. We swim in such deep grace that we forget how far we're in. We are absolutely swimming in tons and tons of grace. That riches in Christ Jesus that are in the heavenly places, all those blessings, that's what we live every day. And we forget about it. So so what, some of you might be saying. So when Paul was encountering uh, the Gentiles through his ministry, I think he was probably getting some of the same response even to them. Even though it was new for them, he's talking to these Gentiles who are very steeped in philosophy, and they're thinking, yeah, we have our creation myths, you have your myths, and they're all the same, right? And Paul just keeps on saying, like, no, 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 you, you don't realize what I'm saying. So he kind of uses this, this tactic to wake them up. So he reminds them of the truth of the gospel, and we're like them. Right? We, we become uh, like – we get in that same Gentile funk that we need to be wake, woken up sometimes. So Paul uses that tactic of remembrance to wake them up, and he says things like this. He says in Ephesians, you were dead in your sins and trespasses. You were dead. And I would say to you, church, you were dead in your sins and trespasses, like Elimelech, like Milan, like Kilan. You were dead dead spiritually but God made you alive in Christ that's resurrection you've been spiritually resurrected in Jesus and that is an amazing thing church don't forget that like Ruth you were at one time separated from Christ again this is just Ephesians you are separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel strangers to the covenant of promise having no hope and without God in the world that was you that wasn't just Ruth. That was you. You are a Gentile. You were cut off from God. But through faith, you've been redeemed. You have been saved by grace through faith. Your story is the same story as the book of Ruth, if you believe in Jesus. It's the gospel story. It's the story of the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. When we read chapter 1, it resonates with us because we too were once dead. We were there. We were living that reality. We needed resurrection. Chapter 2 and 3 resonates with us because life sometimes feels like being buried. We're in the unknown. We don't know how it's all going to work out. We're like Naomi. We're looking around thinking, maybe this plan will work. Maybe that plan will work. And like the unnamed man, we cannot redeem ourselves at all. 
Like Ruth, we can't even redeem ourselves. We're looking around. We need redeemed. How can we be redeemed? I'm, I'm lost. I need saved. And then chapter 4 reminds us that we live that same resurrection hope as Ruth. That when we are dead in our sins, lost, that we can be found by a Redeemer. And that he welcomes us in gladly. He doesn't just leave us there and thinks, well, what, I, what can I get out of them? That's not at all the heart of God. He comes to you, condescends in humility to lift you up to him, to exalt you and him, to make one people. We are one in Christ Jesus. So, church, let me ask you, have you met this Redeemer? Do you know him? Or do, you, do you feel these things and they, do they resonate with you? Because they should. If not, it might be because you're not living your life under the wings of a Redeemer. If, if you feel calloused and cold to this, I, I just ask, are you, are you happy in your life? Are you experiencing that rest that Naomi and Ruth are experiencing? If not, it might be because you're trying to live your life in that cycle of grief living by the law. That way that we said, weakened by the flesh, remember, we are flesh, you can't do. You can't save yourself. You have to realize that. And if you feel burnt out all the time and exhausted spiritually, it might be because you're not trying to live by Christ. You're trying to live by the law. But there's a better way. There is. We don't have to live according to the cycle of grief, which is living by the law. We can live by Christ, the Redeemer who comes above and beyond the law to save us. Yes, he follows the law, and that's why we can have his righteousness. It's because he did it perfectly, but he gives it to us. He counts it to us. That's the promise of the gospel, that we can have faith counted to us, or that we can have righteousness counted to us by faith. That's the pattern. It's all the way back to Abraham. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. You can have that same promise. It is for you, church. You Gentile church. The gospel is for you, and that is great news. Let's pray. Father, we are as we said, so deep in grace that we forget how good you've been to us, how needy we are, how lost and broken we even feel until we start to think and share your thoughts with our own hearts and have these things resonate with us. We're so thankful that you give us your word to do just that, to nourish our bones, our spiritual bones, to give us new life to revive us in our hearts, to give us new vigor to go and take these truths out into the world. For that great news is taken to the world through us. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. Lord, we pray that you would beautify our feet and our hands. Help us to be the hands and feet of your son Jesus to go and take this news to the world, to not get so calloused, and into that Gentile funk to where we're unable to be excited about Jesus and our redemption in him and the gospel. Pray that you would give us new life to go and share with other people. From faith to faith is the pattern, Lord. And we pray that our faith would bubble over into faith for others. That we would be able to take this good news and that they would be able to rejoice with us, forming one new people to unite all things in Christ Jesus. Things in heaven and things on earth, all things making one new, holy, beautiful bride, your church. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.